On today's episode of My Therapy with Justin Nicky, we're speaking with Brent Sopel. For more information about his initiatives involving dyslexia, visit brentsopelfoundation.org or brentsopel.com. Luke, we just finished a conversation with Brent Sopel, mm-hmm. uh, former NHL defenseman, but uh, former as we Stanley get into, Cup champion, former Stanley Cup champion, yeah. but he's more than that. He is, yes, he's much more than his hockey career. Yeah, it was a really, really great conversation with Brent, getting to know a little bit more about what he's about. Uh, came out a couple of years ago with an article in the Players Tribune, uh, talking about his dyslexia and dysgraphia, uh, struggling with uh, reading and writing his entire life and how uh, his doubts about himself and uh, thought he was stupid and he had self-worth issues and things like that, which fueled alcoholism. And that's how he coped with his, uh, with his struggles. And he talks about his, his rehab and uh, how he's now helping uh, other people with dyslexia and dysgraphia with his foundation, Brent Sopel foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really like the article and speaking with him, and actually he did an interview on the radio station that I work for, really put him in a in a very different light for me. And and I kind of briefly mentioned it when we were talking to him. But you had this view, this idea in your head of of who a hockey player is, and he's like the prototypical. If you weren't a hockey fan, like what what does a f- hockey player look like? Like yeah, kind of say Brent Sobel. Yeah, yeah. At certain points in his career, yeah. yeah. When he broke into the league, he was a little more clean cut. But the <laughs> the longer he went on, he. Uh, he had the uh, he had the long uh, the long flow as they say and yeah. and and some nice mustaches from time to time yeah. and and yeah I I had this picture in my head of who Brent Sobel was and and partly by the way he looked partly by the way he played partly by how talented I thought he was as a hockey player and it's really it's really great to have that kind of shattered because it makes you think differently about that with with every person I was going to say professional athlete but person and and especially someone you see on tv whether that be an athlete or an actor or 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 a personality that i think it really is a good reminder that 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 people are are not what they look like at your first impression and Mm -hmm. i think that's really true with brent yeah and he talks in his players tribune article when he first came out with a story about uh how he felt like an idiot and he felt like he was stupid and uh goes into that a little bit in the in the conversation as well and it's clear to me he's not an idiot. He's not stupid nope. because he's he's super motivated. He's passionate about uh, making a difference in in kind of the dyslexia conversation and helping kids who are struggling with this um, understand that they're not stupid. And it really feels like he's got a greater purpose now with uh, trying to help other people not feel the way he has felt. And mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful human being. It was an it was an honor to have him on the podcast. So uh, why don't we just get into it? Absolutely. Here's our conversation with Brent Sopel. Pleased to be joined on the podcast today by uh, former NHL defenseman Brent Sopel. Thanks for joining us, Brent. Thanks for having me. Uh, I was re- rereading your uh, Players Tribune article earlier today. Uh, that came out a little less than two years ago. Now you you came out with your uh, struggles with alcoholism and dyslexia and. And that sort of thing. And uh, one thing that struck me in the article was when you said that uh, you're no longer Brent Sobel, former NHL defenseman. You're so much more. How do you want to be defined? Well, you know, that was, you know, the NHL career was one, you know, one chapter of my life. Uh, 
small snippet of uh you know of my life and you know I started my own charity foundation you know Brent Sopel foundation uh dot org you can find information about it's all about dyslexia and uh you know that's what I want to be known as a you know as a you know as a family man as a as a a great father you know a great husband and, and somebody that's going to you know go above and beyond to you know to help people and you know with the foundation really starting to drive awareness of you know what this dyslexia is a lot of people don't really know what it is it's you know they don't understand it's one in five have it um you know when i say that number people always take a deep breath because they it's uh, you know it's that drastic it's one in five it's hereditary it gets passed down and you know there's just not enough awareness out there and it's debilitating uh, if you do have dyslexia and you don't know uh you know what's going on and when teachers call you dumb and stupid um you know it hits the heart and it hits the self-esteem and you get that self-esteem uh low enough you end up like me you know drinking too much and and going down a path that uh, that you shouldn't be going down. Now you spoke about in the uh, article, but it was later in life that you actually got the diagnosis of dyslexia and dysgraphia. Can you tell us what those things look like for you? Describe kind of what that is in your head and how you how you work through that. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I think I was about thirty five years old when I uh, I got diagnosed, and uh, you know, we got my daughter tested, and and when we went back for the results, uh, you know. The, the things were staggering how much it was, you know, was like me. So that's how I found out. And, you know, there's a huge population of people find out the same way. You know, they live with, with dyslexia for, for years and years and years, not knowing they have it until, uh, you know, son or daughter, uh, goes and gets tested. So, you know, that's very, you know, very common. It was, you know, it was nice to find out that I wasn't really that dumb or, or that stupid, that there was something there, but still, you know, the scars were deep. I was 35 years old and transitioning soon out of hockey into the real life and, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to, uh, how to operate on a, on a day to day basis with, you know, with these learning disorders and trying to get into the real world, which, which isn't easy when you, you know, carry these, uh, these burdens on you every day. One thing that struck me was, uh, how you talked about reaching the top of your profession playing your first NHL game and kind of realizing your dream and but you still felt something was missing that there wasn't enough was that realization did that come about when you got to that point or did you did you kind of think getting there would erase the feelings you had about yourself well you know it's uh when you're on the ice you're you're, you're one person and when you step off the ice you're, you know you're a different person you know you have family and you got obligations and that's away from the rink and that's, and that's what life is. Um, yeah, you know, I was lucky enough to be, you know, one, one of the less of the 1% to, to ever play in the NHL and play pro for 18 years and, and won a Stanley Cup. Uh, but that's, you know, that's not defining me. Um, you know, it's great to have that and, and be a part of the, part of that, you know, that crew. But what's going to find me is the next, you know, 40, 50 years of my life of, you know, having, uh, you know, dyslexia and how am I going to get out there and how am I going to, uh, you know, help other kids are in this situation because it's, you know, 20% of the population has it. So, um, I'm not the only one. I'm out here telling my story because I know I'm not the only one. And if I can, I can help one kid, um, you know, 
resonate with me so he doesn't feel the way I do, uh, you know, every single day. Um, you know, that's my goal is just to, to save these kids. Those kids are our future. And if we don't get them tested and figure out what they have and, you know, dyslexia is a gift. Dyslexia is really a gift. You know, there's 20% of the population, you know, see things differently. Um, but we just learned a different way. Now we just, we need to figure out how we can get everybody tested, you know, let everybody know that, you know, it's not a bad thing to have dyslexia. Actually, it's a really good thing if we can teach you the right way. And some of the richest people in the world have, have dyslexia. I had, a, I was thinking about uh, how dyslexia might have helped you in a way, uh, as I was reading through your article again this morning. Did your dyslexia and, you, and your kind of subsequent mental illness help or hinder your hockey career? Because you talked about routine, keeping you calm, the embarrassment you felt in the classroom, trying to read aloud, um, and how you just wanted to get back to the rink because that's where you felt comfortable. Did these things make you a better hockey player? Yeah, there's no there's no question having dyslexia allowed me to play, um, you know, play as long as I did because, um, you know, I played, I played in fear, you know, I played with more broken bones and, and stitches because I played in fear that one day the game of hockey was going to be over and I was going to have to re- enter the real world, you know, with this learning disorders and, and trying to figure out how to, you know, how to get a job. You know, but if you have dyslexia, um, there's no straight lines, A to Z. You know, we have to zigzag, and um, that's how, you know, I was able to anticipate the game of hockey, you know, so good and allow me to stay in the game as long as I did. I, you know, a lot of times I knew where they were, they were going before uh, they did, and I was just, yeah, that's my, my 3D vision and, you know, my sixth sense of, of, you know, having dyslexia. So there's no question, it, you know, like I said, dyslexia is a gift. If we can catch it at a young age, and get these kids to understand that um, just learn a little bit different. And that's all. There's nothing wrong with that. And teach them that way. Um, they can do amazing things. And you talked about how you started to drink and drink heavily to kind of uh, deal with, with the pain you felt, and, you know, kind of about your opinion of yourself, thinking you were stupid because you weren't diagnosed with dyslexia and didn't know what was wrong with you. Uh, I'm just wondering uh, what... What was your low point and what motivated you to go to rehab to kind of um, help with your alcoholism? Yeah, you know, here, you know, when you're, when you're told as a, as a kid that you're, you're dumb and you're stupid and, and you're lazy and, um, at some point in time you start believing it. And, and as, as you grow up, you, you know, your path kind of gets, uh, form that way. You know, I was lucky enough to have an outlet of hockey to, you know, to get me away from, uh, you know, those problems. And a lot of kids get in problems because they, they don't know anything else. And, and when you start drinking and doing drugs, it takes, it takes away the pain of thinking that, uh, you're, you know, you've you got nothing. You, you bring nothing to this world. You're, you know, you're worthless. So, when you're drinking and you're doing drugs, you forget about that. And then you sober up and you do it all again. So, you know, it's a vicious cycle. You know, leading the game of hockey for anybody is tough, you know, but, you know, having these things, uh, you know, over my shoulder, over my head, you know, every single day was, you know, was tough. And I, I started drinking more and more and, 
you know, had some family and friends, you know, give me an intervention and send me off to, uh, off to, to rehab. So, you know, I own that my life, you know, that completely, uh, gave me an eye opener, wake me up and, um, you know, completely changed my life. And, you know, here we are, you know, over two years, two years sober, you know, started my own charity foundation to, you know, to help these kids and, you know, just trying to take life, uh, one day at a time. Brent, we've had a couple people on the podcast that have talked about um, the the culture around hockey and and how it, it in some ways uh, kind of hurt their their own mental health. One being uh, Aaron Snow, who was a who was a draft pick of the Dallas Stars, and and, and I'm just wondering from from your perspective uh, if if being around the if the culture of hockey kind of didn't help or maybe even hurt you with and led you down the, the path that you eventually went down? No, you know, I don't think, so. you know, the, the game, game of hockey saved me as long, as long as it did. Um, you know, the tough thing is that, um, you know, a lot of us hockey players, uh, you know, we don't, we don't go to college, right. You know, so, uh, you know, you go to the other four major sports, you know, baseball, they go through college, um, you know, basketball, they go through college, football, they go through college. Now you get a lot more hockey guys going, you know, going through college, but that wasn't the issue back in the day. So there I was, you know, walking away from the game of hockey, you know, with probably not, nothing more than a grade eight education, you know, with learning disorders and thinking to myself, who's going to hire me? And nobody did. And it took me two years to finally get a paycheck um last week um finally um because because it, it is the real world nobody gives up anything for free and it's it's dog eat dog and so you know so for me um hockey kept me in the game you know kept me in my place of of comfort as long as possible and i you know i don't regret you know i don't regret anything um definitely would go back and, and change things, put myself in a better position position today. But uh you know, for me I you know, I, I'm not on the not on that same page. You've talked about how um people called you stupid for so long that you started to believe it yourself. When you were when you were playing hockey and you talk about it being the you, you played in fear that of of what you would do if if hockey ever ended when I think about Brent Sopel, the NHL player, because when I was young was when your career was starting. And, and I remember that as a kid, I thought of you as, as one of the meanest guys in the, in the NHL. And, and I think that was, uh, kind of formed by the opinions of watching you on TV or, or hearing commentators talk about you. When people have that opinion of you, that you're a mean guy, that you're a tough guy, does that kind of feed into the, that as well? Because in, in some ways, that's you know that's forming in a that's forming a viewpoint of you that may may not be true well you know and that's and that's part of the business that uh you know as a professional athlete you gotta you gotta understand you know who's who's saying what and uh you know obviously nowadays it's even even worse with social media um you have to have a thick skin and uh you know, there's been many times where, you know, I was terrible and, you know, Vancouver screwing up and, you know, there I was front and center in the paper, just, you know, blowing me up, you know, just completely, you know, now in, you have to learn how to have, you know, have, 
thick skin and understand that, you know, you made a mistake. You didn't wake up that morning going, you know what, I'm purposely going to make a mistake so we lose that game. You know, it happens. It's a game of mistakes. So, so a lot, you know, a lot of the game of hockey and all four major sports, it's mental. You know, are you going to live on that mistake? Or are you going to live on, you know, this so-and-so person saying that you're, you're a bad hockey player or, or you, you can't play the game if you go to the minors? Um, if you, if you hang on that, get, you're not going to be in a league long. I've, I've seen some talented, talented, talented hockey players, um, you know, not make it in the NHL because, because the mental side of the game, they just couldn't hack it. How did you manage that kind of uh, criticism when you talk about maybe the the newspapers are carving you up? How did how did you manage that in the moment? You know, it, it, it was tough. You know, sometimes it fueled me. You know, I think I made the I made the all ugly team. I think you know five <laughs> years in a row. So, <laughs> you just have to learn how to because if that you know if that did affect me. Um, then I wouldn't have played as long as I did. And, you know, did it hurt sometimes? Yeah, there's there's no question. It, uh, especially, you know, what I went through or being told I was dumb and stupid for so many years and you read in the paper how much I suck. Um, you know, I had to stay away from the papers a lot. Um, that was their opinion. Um, you know, all I could do is try and get out there the next night or, you know, the next day and, you know, and do my best and, you know, I kind of had a mentality of, you know, I'll prove you wrong. You know, I got drafted late in the, in the sixth round. I was supposed to be going in the first round. And, you know, I was always the worst skater in the NHL every single year. You know, so I had that underdog attitude all the time that, you know, I'm going to prove you wrong and I prove you wrong. So I, t- I tried to take that criticism and, you know, kind of reverse it and use that as, as fuel to, Hey, oh, is that what you think? Okay, here, watch. Hmm. And, you know, for the most part, you know, I did it pretty good. You know, definitely some nights I didn't do a very good job and I really sucked at it. Um, I'm sorry if we jump around a little bit here, but I want to go back to you saying you said you got your first paycheck a couple of weeks ago. Uh, just curious to know what you're doing now and uh, what's what's paying the bills. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm working for... Uh, a protein bar company called uh, Jimmy Bar here in uh, here in Chicago. Um, you know, like I said, a lot of companies wouldn't corporate America wouldn't you know couldn't couldn't hack it with you know with what I have and you know no education and you know so these guys are nice enough to go out on a limb and uh, bring me on board and kind of teach me the ropes of you know what this is about and you know feels good to at least pay one bill. Um, many more to go but you got to, you got to start somewhere and uh, you know I I'm, I'm just trying to look at life as as glasses half full and uh, you can only get better and um you know been through a lot and here I am every day just trying to trying to help out and you know help kids with uh, the same struggles that I am awesome when you found out that that you were dyslexic which was when the same time you found out that your daughter was as well was it kind of a a bit of a weight off your shoulders did you feel like it was suddenly it explained everything or kind of take us through that yeah you know it, it definitely was a weight off uh uh weight off the shoulder it's like all right all right maybe i wasn't that dumb or i wasn't that stupid so there was something there you know so that you know that weight you know, was definitely, uh, lifted off the shoulders, but 
uh, in the same breath, it didn't change anything. You know, I was still in that same position, uh, you know, struggling with reading and, and writing. And, you know, I always call uh, going into the doctor, you know, the fear of the clipboard. You know, you walk up there and they, ha- and they hand you a clipboard of 20 pieces of paper. Well, you know, if I do that, I, you know, I'll hand it back to them and just walk out. Because you know how long that's going to take me to do, trying to figure out how to spell it on my phone. You know, so it, the weight was taken off, but, you know, still, I still had to live with, with what I had. And, uh, you know, I was more happy, uh, to find out, you know, my daughter has it and we know what it is and we can start, you know, getting her taken care of and, and focusing on her and her needs so that, uh, you know, as she grows, she'll be okay. Uh, going back to your time uh, in rehab and working through your addiction, uh, what did you learn while you're in rehab? You know, it was all about, you know, a lot of it was learning about who I was. Um, you know, the game of hockey, you, you, you know, you're one person. And again, I've got a lot of, a lot of scars and a lot of things, you know, with, you know, with learning disorders. And, uh, you know, a lot of things started making sense. You know, when I was in there and going through my meetings and, and talking to people, and it gave me some self worth uh, that you know, you know, I'm an okay guy, and uh, you know, it's going to be a struggle. And if I, as long as I, I, you know, I stay sober, and you know, I'll, you know, I'll be okay. So it's uh, there's a lot of a lot of great life lessons that uh, you know I still use uh, use today. Um, to, you know, to get me through, uh, through our, and, you know, God's been, been amazing, you know, by my side, watching over me, you know, all the stupid things that I did, you know, I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't kill anybody. So, you know, thank God, you know, he was there for me and, you know, he's brought in some, some amazing people in my life. Uh, you know, my fiance has been, been a lifesaver, you know, pulled me out of some, some dark, dark days where, you know, I didn't want to get out of bed for two, three, four, five days, you know, so she's been, she's been a lifesaver. So, um, there's been, you know, a lot of people, a lot of things that, that have happened, but, you know, one thing is that, uh, that I am sober and I know where I am right now and I know what I'm going to do. When you were in rehab, did you get any kind of a mental health diagnosis? Like, did they actually say that you're, you're dealing with depression or whatever it was, anything like that? No, no, it was, uh, I wasn't, you know, my depression more, you know, came, you know, here in the last, in the last couple of years when you're trying to, trying to struggle to find a job and, you know, and do that kind of stuff. Um, no, I wasn't diagnosed with, with anything bipolar or nothing like that. It was just, you know, I was, I was drinking to, uh, you know, to numb the pain. And so, so we started to get down to the roots of, of why and you know a lot of it had to do with you know with my learning disorders okay what am I going to do how do I do this you know as a professional athlete now where do I go and so uh, you know we, we broke things down and it was uh, it was a good it was a good 45 days learned a lot and like I said still things I use on a daily basis. Was that the first time you ever got help for your mental health or for addictions? Mm-hmm and uh, what advice would you give people that are kind of lost in their own minds and with alcoholism and they don't know where to go? You know what? Uh, rehab was, you know, was the best thing for me. You know, it's it, it saved my life. And, uh, you know, when I got there, <clears throat> people used to say, well, the longer you stay sober, 
you know, the better it gets. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. You know, it, it truly is. Um, where I am today and the things that happened to me today is, you know, a million times better than uh, whatever ever happened when I was drinking. So, uh, you know, stop putting that poison in your body. You know, take control. Um, you know, pray to God. You know, God will take care of it for you and, and help you down the path that needs to be uh, needs to be taken. I want to go back to uh, the stuff with your work with uh, uh, your work to help those with dyslexia. Yeah. When when you look at your career as a professional athlete and and how people I, I I've mentioned this already but people said you were an idiot that's something that fans and commentators are very guilty of for for a lot of people do you do you wish that maybe that kind of that that was out of people's vocabulary when it came to professional athletes that maybe calling them stupid calling them dumb maybe that was the, you know people don't know what they're going through is is that something you wish would change. Well, you know, first off, every single one of us, <clears throat> I don't care who you are, we're all going through something. You know, it, life's not easy. So, um, you know, somebody cuts you off. I promise you, whoever that is didn't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to find them and cut them off. You know, everybody's, everybody's going, you know, going through something. So, you know, that, that was one really big thing that I learned in, you know, in, in rehab that, that we're all dealing with something. You know, may not, may not be the same. You know, if they're in a hurry, you don't know. Is somebody sick? Somebody go to the hospital? You, you just don't know. So, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. Treat your, treat them like you want to be treated. And, you know, you do those kinds of things, you know, you're going to end up okay. You know, it's, uh, like I said, life's, life's not easy, but you know, you're not alone. But if you just, you know, you keep your morals, uh, in the, in, in the right place and, treat people the way you want to be treated, um, you'll end up at top. What made you want to be one of those outspoken people that was okay with talking about their addiction and, and for that matter, your dyslexia and, and your mental health? Why did you want to be that person to speak out and, and make change that way? Well, I mean, a lot of it, you know, within rehab where, you know, I learned to be okay with, um, who I am and what I am. And, you know, I got home and had some friends and you know, had a lot of long talks and um, just talked with different doctors and people. And and at the end of the day, I knew I wasn't the only one that was struggling. You know, I wasn't the one in a million. Dyslexia is one in five. And I don't want another kid to feel the way I do right now. And, you know, so once I got, got in a position where I was okay with who I am and I was ready to, you know, open that can of worms to, to try and save one kid, um, you know, this whole story, it's not about me, you know, it's not a poor me, but there's kids out there that are struggling every day. And this is why I'm here telling, you know, telling my story, being very candid with my story because I'm not the only one. You know, I hope that, you know, one kid or one parent, you know, can hear this and, you know, pass this message along to, you know, their son or daughter or daughter or cousin or whoever that is. Know that they're not alone. They're not alone in this fight. Everybody, a lot of us think that they, that we are, but you know, we're not alone. And that's why I'm here, you know, telling my story and being, being very open with it. 
I can hear the passion in your voice as you say that. And that really, you know, I really admire that. I started the podcast because I was dealing with some mental health issues and I wanted to be that person who spoke out. And it sounds like you're coming from a similar place and I can really appreciate that. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, at the end of the day, like I said, the life's tough and we're all going through something. So if we're not aware of that and, uh, we're not there to help each other and whatever that is. You know what? Maybe that's just a simple hi, good morning. You have no idea how far that could go, uh, you know, for somebody. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and it's, it's just those little things. You know, the more and more people that talk about it, the more and more awareness is out there. And hopefully, uh, you know, things start changing in the right direction. When it comes to your work with dyslexia, what sort of institutional changes are you looking for? Like in terms of schools and the way they deal with kids, what would your ideal be way be that they they handle that sort of thing? Well, yeah, you know, there's there's many where I could go. I don't know how much time you got. <laughs> as much time as you want. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, first off, you know, the one problem that I do have is that you know all these kids go to college for you know four years or eight years to get their masters. And they never cover, they never cover learning disorders. So you're going in a classroom, you know, dyslexia is one in five. Most classrooms are between 25 and 30 kids. You'll do the math. You have four or five, six kids in there that have dyslexia, but you have no idea what it is. Yes, your job is there is to teach, not diagnose, but why can't, you know, why can't every uh, teacher have one semester of you know, an overview of all um, learning disorders, everything. And, you know, just make it one class. So maybe they maybe they remember something, pick something up, and they can say something to the teacher, or excuse me, to the parents, say, you know, I can recognize this. I think you might uh, may want to take Sally or Sue in and, uh, you know, get them further evaluated. It's, you know, something like that could save the kid's life. And, you know, obviously, when you talk about, reading specialists and getting kids diagnosed. You know, there's a Wilson reading program, which is, which has been amazing. Um, my foundation uses it. You know, I'd like to get a, you know, a teacher in each, each school district, each, um, elementary school to test these kids. You know, where are they at? Do they have dyslexia? Yes. No. Yes. Okay. Let's get them in the you know, Wilson reading program and start working with them. Start working with their self-esteem, getting to understand that, you know, it's a gift to have it. Now we're just going to teach you a different way. Now, you you obviously didn't find out until you were an adult that you had dyslexia, but you found it, but your daughter found out when she was younger. Do you see a, a, mm-hmm. a, a difference between when you grew up with it and how she's now growing up with it? Oh, yeah, there's no question. Um, you know, people talk about it. Oh, are you mad at your parents? I'm like, no, 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 I'm not mad at parents at all. Nobody knew what it was back then. Um, you know, completely different. Um, but the problem is that we're not much better, you know, 25 years later about dyslexia. And, I, and that's the sad part. We're, all, we're almost in, you know, 2019. And I'd probably say we're maybe 5% better now than we were 25 years ago. And that's, and, and when you're talking about something that's, one in five kids have it. Um, we are really far behind the pace and the future of, these, you know, of this country are those kids and we're, you know, we're leaving them behind. We're not taking care of them. 
um, the way they should be. And again, that's why I'm here trying to do do what I can little by little. What is the Brent Sopel Foundation, and um, how how can you help directly with uh, kind of changing the game that way? Yeah, you know, BrentSopelFoundation.org is my website. You know, we've got a raffle going on there, uh, you know, for uh, for tickets to the Winter Classic, but you also, you can donate. You know, we're, you know, we're tutoring kids, uh, you know, with Wilson Reading Programs. You know, for example, we figure there's about 20,000 kids in the city of Chicago that have dyslexia. And the, the amount of kids that will probably get the Wilson Reading Program, what they need is maybe about 10 or 15 percent. So we, you know, we find those other, uh, you know, 80 percent, 85 percent of them, and uh, and we tutor them. And we got tutor within the Wilson Reading Program um, to get to, to get them. Let me tell you, because all they need to know is that they're going to be okay, and they learn differently. So, Principal Foundation is just getting out there. One, raising awareness, and two, is getting the, getting my getting my foundation, my board members you know, out there teaching the Wilson Reading programs to these kids so that they can have a successful life. Uh, do you feel like a, a sense of purpose? Like this is why, this is what you were meant to do. Maybe your hockey career was the way that you got your platform to be able to, to make a change in this way. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's always, you know, I pray to God every day and ask him, you know, let me see what uh, what path you want me to go on. And, uh, you know, I think this is definitely, definitely one of my paths. You know, it's, we talk about the future, the, you know, of this country are those kids. And, um, there's a lot of people that have it, uh, you know, some of the richest, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and Richard Branson and Tom Cruise, some of the richest people in the world, um, have dyslexia. But they don't talk about it. And, uh, you know, my goal is to, to start talking about it, you know, start raising awareness of, of what it is. Um, because like I said, it's not much different than 25 years ago. Mm. Um, they know a little, they know a little bit more, but, but not a lot. And there's so many kids struggling and there's kids that commit suicide because of the depression, because of it. And, you know, it, it's it's awful that we're that far behind. So, mm. you know, just means means little Brent Sopel is, uh, you know, slowly trying to knock down you know one door at a time and trying to help one kid at a time. And you know, once I get to one, to, you know, I'm going to get to two and get to two to get to three. It's going to it's going to take time, but uh, you know, I'm not going to stop. That's fantastic. It's I love what you're doing. <clears throat> and uh, before we go, I just wanted to know. If uh, you're still involved in hockey in any way, I saw on your website that you're doing a little bit of uh, like broadcasting and that sort of thing. You still involved in that? No, I was doing a little bit of broadcasting uh, a couple of years ago, but you know, I just don't have don't have the time with uh, you know with the foundation and you know the then you Jimmy Barr and a few other things that that I got going on with uh, uh, with my fiance and her business and and kids. So you know, there's only so much time in the day, and you know, like I said, the foundation is. Is definitely a key part of my uh, of my day and and my focus now. So yeah. you know, we had a good time had a good time when I was doing it, but uh, maybe I'll get back there at some point in time. But no, not right now. Bigger and better things, obviously. Exactly. Would you like at some point to work with the NHL in terms of the in terms of your work with dyslexia? Like, is that something because obviously you went your whole career without being diagnosed? Is that something that you'd like to to work with the league to to see if maybe oh. more guys can be helped by by your work? 
For sure. You know, do the math. There's 750 guys in the, in the league, 20%. So there's a lot of guys that have it. And, uh, you know, out helping a league, anywhere I can help kids and help people um, with it so they don't struggle, uh, I will absolutely, uh, absolutely do that. Uh, what's next for you, uh, Brent? What else have you got going on? And how can people learn more about you and get in touch? Like I said, you know, go to my website, uh, uh, you know, brentsopel.com or you can go to my foundation, brentsopelfoundation.org. And, you know, I got all my information on there, what's going on, uh, you know, myself, uh, what, what, uh, what we got going on. But, uh, you know, like I said, it's just going to be a lot of banging down doors and, you know, being grateful for, for guys like you, you know, allowing me to get on, you know, get on here today and talk about it because, you know, maybe that there's a one listener out there that, uh, that this resonates with. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's grassroots right now and, you know, it's going to continue doing, uh, doing what I'm doing. I love it. And that's what we're here for. That's how kind of my motto, if I can help one person, then that's what I'm trying to do. So again, thank you so much. It's been an honor speaking with you, Brent, and I hope that uh, you just keep doing great things with what you're doing. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Brent Sopel for joining us on the podcast. Like I said off the top, just a, a great conversation with a great person, and he's doing wonderful things. Yeah, and and I think that when we talk about learning disabilities, because that's what we're talking about with dyslexia, I, I think that sometimes the the question may be, well, how is this mental health specifically? And and I think that if anything, this conversation with Brent really shows that they're inextric- inextricably linked. That it's about being feeling different, feeling like you're another, like you're other to what everybody else is. And and while it's not something like depression uh, necessarily, because in Brent's case, he said he was never diagnosed with anything like that. While it's not necessarily that, it's when you have something like that as a kid or even as an adult, whether you're diagnosed or whether you're not, you feel like you're different. And I think that's, it's important to talk about stuff like that because what would make Brent Sopel or anybody with dyslexia different from someone who Mm -hmm. doesn't have it because they don't, they can't read words in Mm -hmm. quite the same way that you can. Well, why does that make them any less of a person? And I think that's, that's what we, we may lose when it comes to kids. When I think about my own schooling, the kids that were in the special ed, as we called it, they, if you had dyslexia, you were lumped in with, with kids who had more serious disabilities, like a, like more serious autism, Down syndrome, stuff like that, where not to say they're any, any different, but that is something that requires, that is a lot more intensive and is, is, means they're not going to learn at the same pace. A kid with dyslexia, just because they can't read just as well, they can learn at the same pace as, as all their classmates, mm-hmm. but by separating them and putting them aside, I think it kind of, it can lead to stigma stuff like on this. It. Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's absolutely a stigma to it, and I think that is where this conversation intersects with with mental health. Is that these kids are made to feel like they're not the same, and I think the work that Brent is doing is is really important for that. Yeah, you make a good point there with uh, just feeling different and not uh, just not okay. I guess is the way to put it. Like and. Um, I really respect, I've spoken about him many times, but Michael Landsberg, I really respect everything he does. And he came out recently and said, like, he, it bothers him, the, the, the line, everybody's going through something, because it, it diminishes, uh, legitimate mental health issues. But mm-hmm. I think every, everybody, 
is dealing with something to an extent. Yeah. There's the, there's severe mental health issues. Then there's just people that maybe, you know, are having just things that are less severe. And no matter how, how you look at it, I just link to that because that's what Brent said that everybody's going through something. And it's, I think it's true. And in his case, maybe he wasn't officially diagnosed with a mental illness, but he struggled with alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And that is essentially. And, you know, a mental illness when you, when you have to depend on something like that. So Brent, while maybe not officially diagnosed, he was going through something. And I think that's an important point in all of this is that, and that's why I think anybody can take something from our conversations that we have in this podcast that whether or not you actually have a diagnosed mental illness, you can probably take something from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, like uh, the conversation we had a few weeks ago with my with my friend Jess, well, there was nothing specific. Like there were mental health things we spoke about, but it was very much about identity mm-hmm. in in that one. And I think that that's kind of what this conversation here with with Brent Sopel is is on a similar thing. It's not it's not the traditional mental health that you're thinking about that we've spoken about many times, and we will continue to speak about because that's important. But I think that we're finding. I think we find that there are things on the, on the fringe maybe that are, that are, that may not seem connected, but I think are connected. And I think people can really Mm. get something out of. And, and I mean, honestly, if you can't feel like you should be inspired to, to help out and maybe even not specifically with Brent's cause, but with, with what his foundation is trying to do. And, uh, we'd have to do a little more research, but I'm not, I don't know if they do any work in Canada. His foundation is based out of Chicago, Mm -hmm. which is where, which is where Brent lives. Um, but get involved. There's, there's foundations here in Canada, in Ontario, wherever you are, there's, there are people doing the same work that Brent is doing. And, and I think everybody can take out of it that, you know, every, no matter who you are, you can, you can help with this. You can help with anything else we talk about. Yeah. There's a cause for everybody. Thanks again to Brent for, for joining us on the podcast. Uh, Again, uh, check him out at uh, brentstoplefoundation.org, brentstoplefoundation.com, and uh, his Twitter account, if you want to catch him that way as well, is at Brent underscore Sopel, S-O-P-E-L. You can find us on Twitter. We will we tweet out all the shows from both of our personal accounts, SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Podcast Addict, Snap that I use, you can get it on there. I asked my mom, how do you get the podcast? She listens to everyone. And, uh, she said, oh, I just listen to them on SoundCloud. I was like, don't do that. You gotta, da- you gotta, da- you gotta subscribe somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah. like, SoundCloud's like the, like the worst way to listen to it. I just tweet out the links because that's where it's hosted. And that's the easiest way to do it because, like, do I tweet out a link from Apple Podcasts? Do I tweet out a link from Google Play? Everybody listens to it from a different place. I just tweet out the link in case you don't subscribe. That's one way you can listen to it. But, it's easier to subscribe. You get notifications yeah. that, that new podcasts are available. So do that. Uh, if you don't know where to subscribe, uh, go to your app store, search podcast, pick the first podcast app that comes up. 99% chance we're on there. If we're not, uh, send us a note and let us know. And we'll make sure we're on there. Unless it's Spotify. We're not on Spotify. We probably yeah. won't be on Spotify for a long time. Yeah, let's not talk about Spotify. It's not our fault. I don't like Spotify. Uh, but you can catch us uh, on <laughs> on the social media. On Twitter, I am the Elvermeer, T-H-E-L-V-E-R-M-E-E-R. You'll find me tweeting out links to this podcast and about my love for William Nylander. Yes, Willie. Willie Nye, the ladies' guy, is under contract. <laughs> 
that happened yesterday. We're a few weeks out from when this is getting posted, but uh, yeah. I'm just, I'm letting the people know what they can expect on my Twitter feed, because that's about all I've posted, nice. or all, all I've tweeted in the last few days. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at J-D-I-C-K-I-E, or send me a note on Facebook Messenger. I am open, and I am eager to hear your feedback and how we can make this podcast better. If you want to be on the podcast, let me know. Anything you want to talk about, I'm here. So, yeah, that's uh, the thing. Yeah. We're open to people like contacting us Absolutely. to be on. We we would we love to talk to everybody. Like, don't think that you know. We've had a lot more people from further away. We've had uh, I would call them bigger names on the podcast in the last little bit. Uh, we we want to talk to everybody, and, and I think that's why having my friend Jess in was mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to like. We'll get back to just talking to a person. Everyone's going through something, and I think everybody's got a story. That's why I, I'm open to anything, because everybody's got a story that can relate to somebody else, and that's what I'm trying to do with mine, with my story. So let's do it for you, too.